Hello, everyone. I'm so happy that you're going to be joining in on our discussion today. I'm your host, Ollie Walter, and I am joined by my good friend and guest, Sophia. Sophia, say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and today we're going to have a talk about implicit bias, medicine, the healthcare field, and how they all tie back to black women. Um, it's important to me that you listen and feel informed, but also comfortable, so I just want to give a forewarning. Um, there's going to be discussion of non-consensual procedures, sexual assault, trafficking, and death. And some more will take base place. So, you know, just a forewarning. Because um, this is a hard topic, but again, it's important to spread awareness. And with that being said, please enjoy the show. So, let's start off with the history of black women's presence in medicine. Um, some background. Um, in the 19th, oh no, in the 18th to 20th century, enslaved black people were used as test subjects as a method of characterizing traits that their race held. Uh, physicians held the belief that all questions regarding health could be answered by just looking at the body. And therefore, if black people were statistically more unhealthy than white people, it was a result of their race, not of disparities in diet or economic circumstances. And this ideology was cruelly enacted numerous times to explore the nature of black women. Um, during the era of, era of slavery, um, from 1619 to 1865, or 246 years, black women were first through public, n nude, physical auction examinations to determine reproductive ability, though truthfully it held a statistic sadistic and demeaning intentions to them and non-consensual genealogical um, and reproductive surgeries without anesthesia including c-sections and ovarotomies were made to or like done to perfect medical procedures and aside from that an important occurrence was the incredibly common rapes of black women which was named as well, black women were named as this Jezebel stereotype, naming black women as hypersexual and innately promiscuous would, um, it would follow the health of black women to se for centuries to come, this, this stereotype of them. And the offspring of these rapes, light-skinned and mixed black girls, were the major populators of those who were sold into sexual slavery. So, yeah. Um, beyond slavery, however, black women were still repeatedly put aside for the benefit of white people. When the yellow fever, for instance, the epidemic broke out and took over the U.S., rates for white people were higher than for black people. And though this likely had to do with the fact that they were most likely infected as children from early enslavement and <laughs> were not naturally immune, um, physicians believed that black people were inherently immune to this sickness. And black people were expected to stay in, like, hotspot areas to tend to the sick white people. Um, and then they became sick and they died. So that was very sad. Um, but as I said before, black women were continuously subject to non-consensual medical experience, experiments and mutilations. And a lack of or poor healthcare opportunities of, un of quality and unwanted sterilization all carrying through the Jim Crow era to like post-civil rights. Um, a total of like 163 years, give or take. 
and oftentimes their opportunities for healthcare were experiments in disguise, really. Um, combined with the negative, intentional impacts of Jim Crow on black people, generational poverty, violence, harsh stereotypes, as I said, um, the treatment of black women still remains very poor to this day and by both everyday citizens as well as doctors. And while blatant sexual abuse of black women may be inexcusable today, there's still a long-standing impact of discrimination present in the healthcare given to them everywhere. So, Sophia. <laughs> um, do you have any thoughts? Any, what do you think about this long history of black women's well, mistreatment? I think it's really, like, upsetting about the yellow fever about how they would uh ask them to like cater to the sick white people when those were hot spots because that really doesn't make any sex many sense mm -hmm. and it just shows like goes to show like how truly like blatantly like racist they were right yeah i mean yeah black women were really subject to all of these experiments and not only that but they had to go and treat white people just because they thought that they were immune to it just because they were getting sick as less and then a lot of people died as a result of it so you know we see that where people have these expectations of what black people or black women really are supposed to be and how they're supposed to react to certain things but in truth a lot of medicine is based off of the white male anatomy you know like all of these uh, well, I guess I'll get into it later about like um, clinical trials that are done for certain, you know, diseases. But, um, well, as we look at the generations of doctors over the years, we can see that women are, black women are disproportionately affected in the healthcare field and are overall sicker and have shorter lifespans. But various disparities like income or age or even the severity of their conditions can't account for this. Studies have shown that, that um, it's not about your income or your access. It's about simply being black and how they're still receiving a lower quality of healthcare, even when these disparities are comparable to white people. Like even rich black women are, are not getting good healthcare. So <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that physicians are racially biased and in turn black women are less likely to receive appropriate or even desirable care and for example kidney dialysis or transplants appropriate cardiac care or the best treatments for a stroke or cancer or AIDS um, studies have shown that they're getting the less desirable treatments compared to their white counterparts so um, just for examples a study by the um, National uh, American Society of 400 hospitals in the U.S. has shown that black patients with heart disease received older, cheaper, and ineffective treatments than that of their white counterparts. So, like I said, they're getting they're getting um, worse treatment, <laughs> and um, black patients were less likely to receive coronary bypass operations and angiography and after surgery they were discharged earlier than the white patients even at a stage where discharge was inappropriate um, 
this applied to other illness illnesses as well. Black women specifically are less than less likely than black than white women to receive radiation therapy in conjunction with a mastectomy. In fact, they're less likely to receive a mastectomy at all. They're um, they're more likely to receive a double mastectomy, which is obviously don't want that as much. Um, What's a double mastectomy? Yeah. What? Sorry. That's What's a one. double mastectomy? Um. When you get when you have breast cancer, and you have um, both of your boobs chopped off, oh. I think that's what. Here, hold on. Double, yes, uh, yeah, double mastectomy. So yeah, they're getting worse treatments for the same diseases, and um, yeah, it sucks. Uh, let's see. So they're less likely to receive radiation therapy in conjunction with mastectomy, and they're and this this applies to like every situation. Like they're less likely to receive the less desirable treatments in every situation. Um, for instance, the rate at which black patients have their limbs amputated are higher than that of white people. And additionally, black patients with bipolar disorder are more likely to be treated with antipsychotics despite the evidence that these medications have long-term negative effects and are not effective, and have been proven to not be effective, but they're still getting treated with it because, <laughs> because there's racism in our healthcare system. So, scholars who have observed these studies have come to the conclusion that the rate at which black women are more likely to receive inadequate healthcare is a result of biases in the medical field, like I said. Um, though they tend to be implicit, as in, like, not intentional, the long-standing stereotypes of black women in our history, like I mentioned before, have severely impacted doctors today and continue to impact even young medical students who will eventually become physicians for the future black women of this world. And these biases, however deeply rooted and unintentional, are killing black women, contributing to higher rates of death, really. And it's sad. It's sad because it's not fair that these, first of all, all of these are like embedded in our system, not just with doctors who live today and are practicing today, but like learning doctors, nurses, and all of that. They're all taking in these, um, these biases. Um, and an interesting thing about the idea, this idea of implicit bias within physicians has been put to the test, like literally. Um, <laughs> a study in which physicians took the IAT, which is the implicit bias, or the implicit association test, which tests implicit bias. <laughs> um, it showed that physicians whose test results revealed pro-white implicit biases, so they, they had more of an implicit bias towards, a negative implicit bias towards black people were more likely to prescribe pain medications to white patients than to black patients. And another study had the physicians take the same test, and then they asked the physicians, the same physicians, whether they would prescribe thrombiosis, which is a, an aggressive but effective treatment for coronary artery disease. So, you know, it's hard, but it's effective. To patients presenting symptoms for that disease, and the experiment showed that physicians whose IAT test showed anti-black implicit biases 
were less likely to prescribe the treatment to black patients and more likely to prescribe the treatment to white patients. So, in truth, these disparities work hand-in-hand with the pre-existing systemic disparities like already present. And these physicians are further perpetrating a long-standing history of discrimination and lack of access to black women. So, you know, I've already covered like the, I guess, some examples and some numbers, but to dive a little bit further into, into the numbers and the consequences really of this, um, is to, you know, to, to look at how, how truly bad it's like plaguing our healthcare system. And as I said previously, black women's mortality rates, as well as injury, not just dying, but also getting hurt, are significantly higher, regardless, like I said, of income or education level or anything. So when you look at the numbers, like a familiar pattern kind of arises. Black women are experiencing disparities in infertility rates as their rates are double than that of white, white women at a staggering 24%. Like 24% of black women are experiencing infertility and only 12% of white women. Um, and not only that, but only 8% of black women seek medical assistance in becoming pregnant. So when they're experiencing it, they don't even really feel comfortable um, going to help for it. Right. Yeah, going to help. Or going to get help. But 15% of white women still go and get help and seek out help. So it just shows, like, people are really feeling this, you know? Like, it's not just... Like, it's just not... It's not just statistics. Like, people are feeling this this disparity with doctors that they don't feel comfortable going to get help or talking to people about it but health inequities for black women are more than just reproductive dismissal there are conditions that disproportionately impact black women like uterine fibroids Um, it's a condition that greatly impacts black women Um, like way more than other white women a lot of a lot of the people affected by it are black women um, but it, refu- it receives a lot less government funding compared to other conditions, like um, even, even conditions that affect fewer people, but the majority of those people are white, you know? So even though they're, they're not affecting as many people, they're getting more funding just because the people that are getting those conditions are white. Um, nearly 25% of black women between the ages of 18 and 30 have fibroids, urine fibroids, but only 7% of white women do. And by 35, that 25% increases to 60%. But nonetheless, the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health, annual funding for the condition is $17 million, while cystic fibroids, or cystic fibroiosis, um, is a condition that does affect fewer people, like I said, who are primarily white, but it receives 86 million. So these are some individual examples of like a larger problem. Um, black women are uncared for compared to their white counterparts, and time and time again, we see the inequity and insufficient care through both individual physicians and overseers of health, but also through a, re- a lack of representation. So I know I mentioned this earlier, um, but 
um, when you think about the the medications or the care for um, certain treatments or conditions, you think about like clinical trials to make the treatments for them, the medicines, right? So the the reality about clinical trials is that they're really, really, um, they don't have a lot of diversity in them. A lot of women, all women, by the way, are underrepresented, underrepresented in clinical research for new drugs, but even more so for black women. And as we've seen, black women have certain conditions they are more prone to, prone to, like uterine fibroids. But regardless, they make up a measly 15% of participants in the published clinical trials for the condition. So <laughs> the, the condition is like, like mostly black women. But when you think about the, the um, clinical trials to make medication for it, it's only 15% of the participants are black women, which is crazy to me. It's, it's really crazy. And um, when you look at the data from the FDA uh, for the trials, for the 24 of 31 cancer drugs approved since 2015, less than 5% of participants were black. Like, oh my God. I know. Like, 24 out of 31 cancer drugs and 5% in all of them since 2015 were black. Like, it's like, can you even market those, like, medications as, like, good for black people? Like, you don't even, you can't even really tell because it's really all other people. Um, so, yeah, without representation in the process, for, con for conditions that affect races alike, not even just conditions that majorly affect black people, but like without that representation, it's like a serious lacking of assurance to whether or not these drugs are safe and effective for all patients. Um, and another process that I wanted to bring up is genomics. It's the process of scanning the genomes of people to find variants associated with disease traits. And the process is lacking in diversity in itself. 20, 20 hmm? What are genomes? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, it's like scanning the, like, here. Let me look up a def, like a, a genuine definition for you. Uh, okay. So it's your, so in each cell that you have, it's like, it, it has your set of chromosomes in it. So like your all of your DNA. So it looks through all of the all of your I guess all of your information and it's 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 one whole set of all of your genes plus the DNA like between them I guess. So basically it it looks it looks like everything that makes you you. It looks at it. That's what that's what it does. Um and the reason that they 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 do it um is to find the variants associated with disease traits. So 20 years ago, the percentage of all individuals involved in genomic studies um, that were European or had European descent was 96%. Um, today, the percentage has lowered to like 80%, but the change was mostly due to the increase of Asian patients or patients with Asian descent. Um, that of those with African ancestry has like hardly changed. Um, 
If participants in the clinical trials, so like I said, if they lack black women, we can't guarantee their safety or the effectiveness for all those people. But, um, you know, that's, that's for clinical trials. But if the participants in these genomic trials lack black women, they kind of stunt the ability to like identify areas of health in which black women need more care. You know, because they're not, they're not scanning a lot of black women. They're not finding what diseases they're more prone to. So in turn, the, like you can't, how do we say this? The medical field of equity, like having equity in the medical field is already stunted, like before it, before it even starts to try and um, have some more equity in it. It's like stunted before it even can begin to have more equity because they, they don't even know what diseases they might be more prone to or what they need to pay more attention to, you know? Because they never check for them in the first place. Right, they don't even check for them in the first place. So, what can we do about it? What do you, what do you, before I tell you, before I tell you what I think or what I've done research on to do, what do you, what do you think would be the best course of action to move forward? Um, give me one second. <laughs> Um, well, maybe make funding for mm-hmm. that yes. to help, like, go and actually find, like, I don't know, actually go in those studies that should have been done a long time ago in the first place. Right. So then we can, you know, like, I don't know. But have more funding for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, make those, like, have those studies um, about black women that need to happen to see what they need help with and to fund more, right, for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. So a lot of solutions have been suggested, really. The most common is the act of implementing mandatory anti-racist and implicit bias training in the buds of those fields. Like, of medical school. Right. Medical schools, residential trainings, all of those moments where training is required to just also require a certain number of hours towards those trainings. Um for being anti-racist and to really root like identify those implicit biases and and you know cut it out (laughs) um and it's been said that the re-education also must take place on every level like every level like even if you have a phd you've been in the medical field for 40 years you still should have these trainings because Uh a lot of this information is missing and it's held by nurses and healthcare professionals alike. So it doesn't matter if you're working with patients every day or you just started, you should have this training. And along with mandating educational uh, courses on anti-racist practices and awareness, um, the history of sexual and reproductive health of black women should be observed. which someone has said, to ensure the implementation of culturally appropriate programs, research, and treatment efforts. So there's, there should be no room for, for error. Like, everyone knows the history. Everyone knows where to find these like, implicit biases within themselves, how to deal with them, how to move forward, how to deal with patients in, with equity, you know, mm-hmm. in an equal way. But, you know, some progress has been made. People, some people have um, worked towards this. For instance, the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine revamped its entire four-year medical school uh, curriculum to incorporate 
anti-racist training. And new training has been incorporated at the Florida Atlantic University's Charles E. Schmidt College of Medicine. Students are being taught to ask questions that refer to a patient's history and experiences, and as well as bodily health. So it's not, it's not a lost cause. People are doing these things. Um, and as students more learn more about racism in healthcare, as well as how to communicate and learn about patients from various backgrounds, we will create a more equitable health system for all. But, you know, there's a little bit more. Um, to fully ensure that these processes enacted are working, it's been suggested that the data about health outcomes for black mothers should be tracked and reported, um, and that hospitals and birthing centers should be required to publicly disclose health outcomes for labor and delivery for different demographic groups, and individual physicians and staff members should be presented with their own statistics, like to review on a annual basis as part of their institutional performance reviews. Mm -hmm. So people should be able to review these doctors that they're working with, and these physicians should look back like annually and see like where, where do I need to improve like you know, just to be aware constantly. I think an important thing about about that is constantly being aware of like, you know, how you're doing, how people view you, how people feel like you treated them. Um, so going back to the lack of diversity in clinical trials and voluntary research participation, some have suggested that the FDA and US NIH, the National Institute of Health, by the way, um, must update their policies regarding the trials and address the underlying reason for low diversity. Um, by updating their policies, drug companies will be incentivized to increase enrollment of black participants, for one, and the policies regarding research should also be expanded to address the data disparities for all people of color. Um, yeah. So overall, basically, <laughs> the discussions must be had in order to address the lacking and the disturbing history for black women in clinical trials. Um, historically, black women have been abused and misused in clinical trials, often involuntarily, and how the healthcare systems have commercialized on black women without their consent or compensation, along with um, including more black women in certain clinical trials, more funding, like you said, Sophia, um, should go towards research on conditions that majorly impact black women slash black people, really. Um, actually, an NIH study team found that taking into account factors including education, training, and experience, black investigators are nearly 11% less likely to receive NIH funding compared to their white counterparts. Um, the investigators are like, they, they're the ones who are, like they're also doing research on conditions and medical condi conditions, you know, but they're black people doing it. And they're less likely to receive funding from the NIH compared to their white counterparts. And these investigators, the reason why that's such a problem, aside from the fact that they're, it's inequitable, is that these investigators are more likely to investigate conditions that primarily affect black people. And with less funding, less funding subsequently goes towards that necessary research. So it's kind of a domino effect when you think about it. Mm -hmm. um, 
Another suggested solution to this problem was that funding agencies should help, should develop financial incentives for the creation of diverse cohorts of study participants. So one way for them to do this would be to prioritize grant requests that propose investigations of or in populations of non-European, um, especially of African ancestry. So basically trying to get more companies to do research with more diverse study participants is, you know, to prioritize like grants um, that would allow for that to happen. Um, but it shouldn't just be the FDA and the NIH sifting their policies. Um, public and private stakeholders should too, because they generate and leverage genomic data sets for both basic research and commercial product development. So like um, people who are using the information from these genomic tests and scanning, they should also, um, you know, they should also have um, diverse data sets, you know, and include more black people in them because, um, you know, obviously it's important for the, for the same reason it's important for for the FDA and the NIH, just because they're private stakeholders, just because they're private companies using these these data sets, doesn't mean that they also shouldn't, you know, be more diverse. And um, people have demanded that these companies pledge to increase their diversity in their data sets. Um, and similar to the prioritization of the certain grant request, scientific journals specifically should reward research groups that publish results from non northern European courts. So again, making that incentive for people to, or certain scientists or people who are dealing with these data sets to um, prioritize having black people in their, in their stuff. <laughs> um, and lastly, one last thing, is that Congress and citizens should exert pressure on the government funding bodies like the NIH to follow through with these demands. So more funding towards black researchers and trials that would focus on conditions such as, like I said, uterine fibroids, um, sickle cell anemia is another example that largely impact black women, and to address the negative history black women have in all clinical trials and the excessively low participation of black women, or really like all people of color um, in clinical trials and documenting reports from black patients. and. Really, with all of this stuff, with all of these changes, like with enough push from both the public community and um, other groups who are using these data sets on people who are, you know, using them to, to really have more diverse, you know, people in them, real, real change can be made, you know? So I guess just to go over everything, it's a matter of black women having a already pre-existing harsh history in healthcare and um, a result of that being the stereotype of them, various stereotypes really, various stereotypes of them um, that carry through generations and generations of doctors um, and how it's deeply rooted and implicit, which is important. It's important to recognize that this is an implicit issue you know, like, mm -hmm. this is not something that people are just, like, 
oh, I hate black women, so I just don't want to give them proper health care. Or you're black, so I'm not going to give you, like, pain medication. Like, it might be. In some circumstances, it might be. But oftentimes, it's really an implicit thing. It's something that is not thought about. It's just so deeply rooted, and it's shared. It's widely shared. Like, a lot, like, many, many doctors are are sharing these these ideals and you can see it you can see it when you look at the numbers you can see it when you can see the number of black women seeking help for certain issues you can see it in the funding that certain conditions are getting compared to others clinical trials like the diversity and all of them like it's very it's very obvious so with, with these changes with this push it can change so that was my podcast on um, implicit bias in healthcare against black women. Um, I hope you do your own <laughs> research on this issue because there's so much that goes into it. Um, and I hope you enjoyed. Thank you, Sophia. First, thank you so much, Sophia, for joining me. And thank you for yeah. having me. And I think you did a great job. Oh, thank about you. Informing others. Yeah, thank you. Yes, please, 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 please go do your own research on this issue. Um, sign any petitions interact really just do your best to educate yourself because this was a short podcast on a humongous issue so with that um have a great day thank you